good to see everybody here. This is uh, it's sure nice to have air conditioning. I, uh, there you go, now bring it, bring it. We're not charismatic until it comes to air conditioning, and then it's like, come on now, preach it, brother. Uh, I grew up, I grew up in my neighborhood. One house had one room air conditioned, the family room, and all of us kids would go over there and uh, totally loiter in their house. We don't even know you. We don't have children. Why are you here? No, they did. They were good friends, and I used to go over there all the time. And it's just a different culture than uh, these days than when it was when I grew up. No stores were air-conditioned. No churches were air-conditioned. There just wasn't the case. But we are pansies now, and, but it feels great. And I, I admit it. I'm pansy, too. I was in an unair-conditioned house on Friday night playing cards, and it was like, what? What's the deal? I'm actually sweating. That's bad. So anyway glad that you're here. A few weeks back, I had mentioned, I talked about um, good accountability and bad accountability. If you remember that message, we talked about how that looks, what that Paul had was holding them accountable was on the issue of money, but we talked more about the issue of accountability in your own life, accountability groups, those kind of things. And I had mentioned that sometimes you do things uh, for, uh, to just fit in, and that's bad accountability. You're just doing things to, to be in the crowd, to, to be acceptable by other people. And I'd use the example in my own life of peer pressure, what happened to me at 15 years old. If you remember this story, I was sharing how I had, was in driver's training, so I was 15, and I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I said, what are you guys doing tonight? And he said, well, we're going to the fair, which is uh, St. Louis County Fair in my hometown, Hibbing, Minnesota. And anyway, they, <laughs> and we're going to the fair, and, and I said, well, you mind if I come? And he says, you can come, but if you come, you're drinking. I was trying to figure out whether or not that was peer pressure. I came to, yeah, probably was, but that was the first time I had drunk illegally. First time I drunk, period. And, uh, and then at age 15, and that, uh, I talked about that in ex- uh, the existence of peer pressure. Well, that, that led down hanging out with those friends in high school, 15 years old, which is uh, after my, uh, is that sophomore year, freshman year? Something like that. I can't remember. I'm young for my age, which means I was young for my grade. So I think I was sophomore. I think it was sophomore year. So anyway, hung out with them more and got into that kind of lifestyle. You know, the drinking thing and all those kind of getting caught up. And it happened, and I believe it was of my junior year in the winter, I was hanging out with this same friend who, who's, who had the air conditioning, a uh, uh, childhood friend. And, and I saw him one night, and he was drunk as a skunk. He had the family car. And uh, I asked him what they were doing, and, and he said, we're just out drinking. Obviously, this guy was drunk as a skunk. And I got in the car uh, while he was inebriated, and in the car were two other guys. Besides him, one guy was totally, hadn't had anything to drink, but the other guy, his nickname was Wojo. Wojo was basically laying back, going like this, completely hammered. Um, and so I got in the car and, and drank some alcohol that they had had a lot of alcohol in the car, and... This is only going to make sense for probably, I don't know, anyone over 40 in the room. But back when video games uh, were first out, they were handheld devices. Uh, you know what a handheld, you know what that is. Okay, and so back then they had this football game. And the whole football game, I think it was called Monday Night Football, the football game consisted of three little dashes. And there was three lanes. And, and the defense would come at you with different dashes in different areas. And your job was to kind of go sideways and go forward and go backwards and try to get around them so you could score touchdowns. This will make sense in just a moment, believe me. So that was, you know, I, I can't remember what we called that game. We had a name for that game, and I don't remember the name. But so I got in this car, and uh, we drive away, and we, the, it's a very cold night. This car didn't have a good defroster, so most of the windows are completely uh, frosted over. And... We're driving, and we come to a stoplight, and it's red, and it turns green. In front of us, it's a, it's a four lane, so we have two lanes on our side going, actually, I think it was going north, and there was uh, two cars in, right at the light, and there was two cars behind them. So he gets the idea to do the Monday night football thing, and he is in this lane, and he jots over this lane, and then, you know, there's another lane. It's just called the shoulder. He goes on this shoulder, punches it, while they're just starting to get going, punches it in an area that maybe the speed limit's 45. He's going about 75 miles an hour. He's in that shoulder, goes all the way around, 
And all of us are screaming, that was the coolest football move ever. The next thing I remember, the very next thing I remember is this frosted window behind me going red. And, and it was the cops. So they pull us over, and uh, Wojo is very, very inebriated. And so the driver, who's also very inebriated, thinks it's not good if the cop makes it up to the window. This is very bad. There's more alcohol in this car than most bars is in this vehicle. And so uh, he decides to hop out of the vehicle and go back to the police officer saying, as in slurred speech, what, what, what seems to be the problem, officer? <laughs> Which, by the way, cops can't stand um, because they don't like anybody getting out of any vehicle towards them at all. So he was met with either the business end of a, uh, a, a nightstick or a, you know, a hand on a gun or whatever, get down on the ground. Uh, that took a little while to get him. He didn't resist. You know, he just went down. And then went, as, as this is all happening, the, uh, uh, the conversation, one of the guys is a complete atheist. He starts praying. He just starts praying because he's already got one against him. He's not got the guy that didn't drink anything or very little or whatever. He ended up being all right. But then Wojo proceeds to completely barf all over himself and us. So this is, and this is partying. This is the good life, right? This is how good it gets. So I got myself a, a ride in the business end of a police car at 16, 17. Your, your, your pastor has a record, okay? So, uh, and I got a, a ride right down to the police station in downtown Hibbing, Minnesota, uh, where they escorted three of the gentlemen into the jail. And then they decided for whatever reason that it was full and so I sat, I'm kind of having a hard time. I did go into the jail. They didn't put me in there, put the other guys in there. I sat outside and waited for my dad to come home. I remember distinctly the ride from that, where the police station is, home. It's a five-mile ride. It felt like it took seven and a half hours. My dad said nothing. Now, my dad's a German, doesn't say a lot. We get almost home, and he says these words, words I will never forget. He looks at me, kind of out of the corner of his eye as he's driving, and he says, I'm disappointed in you. Kick me, beat me, slap me, ground me, do whatever you want. Don't say you're disappointed in me. That was just like the worst thing to hear. Now, what we're talking about today, why says any point whatsoever, is we're going to talk about authority authority in your life. We're going to talk especially about spiritual authority, and that's what we're in in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to cover verses 7 to 11, five verses today, and, and we're in a part of 2 Corinthians where we're looking at spiritual authority. Really, I'm just setting uh, the tee. I'm putting the ball on the tee, and this whole today just for core, core is going to make this all make sense the next uh, three weeks. And, and, uh, it, and so really today, I'm really going to unpack this idea of what is spiritual authority? Is it real or is it fake? Uh, and, and how it influences your life? How you are, have spiritual authority? What does it even mean? And that's the big idea that we're going on. If you remember, just to kind of catch you up, we've been in uh, chapter 10 last week, and we realized that there were accusations against Paul Throughout all of the book of 2 Corinthians, if you're brand new to the Bible, it's a, written by a guy by the name of Paul, written to a church in Corinth, uh, which is now Greece, uh, where he wrote them. He had started this church, and there were a lot of things going on that were messed up in this church. If you think church is messed up in the United States, you ain't seen nothing until you go to Corinth. And Paul's writing back about all the issues, some of which people have come in after him and saying, Paul's a fraud, Paul's a phony. And there's four primary things in this section, uh, chapters 10, 11, 12, and really to the end of the, of the book. We're only going to spend chapters uh, 10, and, uh, 10, all 10 and half of 11 on this little topic here of, of uh, dealing with authority and how he really does defend himself. There's four accusations primarily. One is weak. He's weak and cowardly. He maybe writes big talk, big talker, but doesn't actually do anything when he shows up. Second thing is then he's not really an apostle. He's not really a full, bona fide, he's not an apostle. Third thing is, and again, I think this is weird, but the, the accusation is he didn't take any money. So therefore, he's not a real apostle. He's not a real big shot because he didn't take money. 
And then lastly, uh, the criticism against Paul is that he's not a very good communicator. He's not a slick communicator, and so therefore he's, uh, he's not, a, not a big shot at all. Now, he's going to address those. Excuse me. He's going to address those, even some of those today, those concerns uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, but this week, what we really want to hit on is this whole concept of spiritual authority. What is it and what is it not? All right. What, what does that whole idea mean, um, biblically speaking? And we have a problem with that in our culture. In a lot of other cultures, this is really, this message wouldn't even need to be said. And today's kind of a different message, I'll just be honest with you. It's a little more teaching on the end than I'm not, uh, I'm not as much going to preach and <laughs> yell at you. I, I was getting coffee for service and, and I put half regular and half decaf. I said, what are you doing? I said, well, if I go all caffeinated, I just yell. So they said, oh, here's more decaf. But the, uh, but really I just want to unpack this with you and just kind of let the chips land and, and let Holy Spirit just do His work in your life and as you process through some pretty big concepts that I'm just going to kind of tickle with you. It's hard in this culture because we are, by nature, a democratic culture, right? I, well, I didn't, I didn't vote for you, you know? We don't understand, if you ever remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they're having the argument with, uh, with uh, well, I didn't vote for you. Well, you don't vote for kings. Remember that whole exchange back and forth? And he says, well, what kind of a democratic system is that? It's not a democracy. It's a kingship. You know, we don't get that now because we are very, very egalitarian. One person, one vote. I'm in this. I want to vote on the stuff I really care about. This is, and if we don't like it, we complain about government, right? That's the way it is in America. You complain about government in very strong monarchies or very strong dictatorships, you find yourself in deep, deep doo-doo. Here in America, it's just national pastime, right? You, you pay people to go on CNN to complain about government. I mean, that's this who we are. And so this concept of authority is a little bit foreign to us. So I want to spend today kind of unpacking that mostly, but we'll take a look at the passage. Let's take, uh, uh, if you got your Bible there, verse 7. We're going to read it through. I'm actually going to cover the passage relatively quickly. I'm going to spend most of my time kind of doing a, a biblical theology or going from Genesis to Revelation and not quite in that order, just may, maybe make them a little more thematic in our understanding, just helping to understand what is spiritual authority? Why does Paul, one of his arguments here is that I have spiritual authority in your lives. What does it even mean? Okay, with that said, here we go. Verse 7, you are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast... Somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be uh, trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people, oops, oops, there we go. Such people uh, should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Okay, so let's just take a real quick look at the passage and then deal with the main topic at hand. Here we go. First thing. First part of verse 7. Paul says, you are looking only on the surface of things. So it, that's a possible interpretation of that. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the versions of the Bible that, that I like to use, the New International Version. reason I like that is simply this. The day I became a follower of Jesus, a guy handed me a new international version. It was with a ministry called The Navigators, and I memorized a lot of it. When I dated Carol, she, I, I, it was very difficult, only in one area. She was a New American Standard girl. And she, we had, there you go, there's, yeah, you had to cross, you had a mixed marriage as well, yeah. So it was like, <laughs> ah, these scripture verses are not the same, you know. I, why don't you just read it the way God intended it, the way and I have it in my Bible, and but anyway, and then, and then how many now are ESV people, the, the elect standard version? If you're elect, that's the version you use. Yeah, so the <laughs> English standard version. But anyway, and that's a great version. And one of the reasons we don't put new Bibles in the pews is how many, we have four pastors and what we use, five different versions or whatever. We all kind of like different versions. And, and I just kind of stuck with this one. Most of the versions on this verse, and if you even look in the footnote, if you have an NIV open, says, look... 
um, at the facts, or it's more of a command as opposed to a statement. You're looking only on the surface of things. And I think what Paul's doing here is saying, hey, hey, wake up. Or as my favorite deal is, I love when people get to the point with me and they say, look, here's the deal. You know that what's coming is a short, little bit passionate argument about their case. I love when people say, look, here's the deal. And then the next thing, this is what Paul's saying here. Look, here's the deal. And I think he unpacks what the deal is. And here, here where they are. Number one, fact number one. He says, if anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ Jesus as much as he. Remember, whenever Paul uses the we here, he's talking about, first of all, he claims that he is one of the authors, but he's the primary author of this letter. There was a team of them that came into Corinth. It wasn't just Paul alone. But he's primarily talking about himself. Sometimes you'll see the I interjected in there. So he's talking primarily about himself as well as his team. Now, he says, let's, let's just do the logic here. Here's the logic. I came into Corinth, my, me and the team. And think about this now. I came there. I didn't know anybody. He says, I, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 2, remember, he says, I came with fear and trembling. So I came there, and I told you about Jesus, how beautifully was the message of the gospel. You guys all come from extreme pagan backgrounds, so you don't understand anything. I explain this all to you. Many of you choose to believe. A church is formed. You start to grow. I'm there a year and a half. You know my life. You see everything about me. You see my, my devotion to Jesus. You see my love for you. And these accusations against me hold no water as far as saying I'm not a follower of Jesus, right? Like, look it. You say I'm not a, a trained speaker? So what? You say that I didn't take your money? Hello? I mean, what are these, these accusations against me that would say, oh, I'm not even sure Paul's really the real deal? He says in 1 Corinthians, remember we read this last week, that I'm like your father. I'm like a spiritual father. You have guardians all over the place, people who don't really care about you. I'm your father. And so, <laughs> I'm your father, Luke. I, I am your father, and so you're like my children. So think about the logic there. If you are legitimate children, then I'm a legitimate father. That's the first thing he's saying. The fact number one, I'm a follower of Jesus, just like you. Fact number two, he says, I'm not only just a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus who has met the, the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ with a special authority, this is what we're going to land on later, uh, looking at that a little more broadly than just an apostle who has authority. Paul says here, for even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave me, uh, us, for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I'm going to say this about 10 times today by the time I'm done. Huge. Spiritual authority. But just this passage says it right there. Building you up rather than tearing you down. Huge point. It's going to come out in a bunch of ways. That's the point. Spiritual authority. Paul says he boasts about that. He got it from Jesus. He's an apostle with a capital A. Whether or not the gift of apostleship exists anymore could be, but it's small a for sure. Nobody's going to go cracking off uh, writing more of the New Testament. I hope not. I, I have to memorize more, you know, read more. It's not going to happen. There are really great people out there. And they may be, it's debatable, they may be an apostle with a small a, not like the apostle Paul, the big a. That has been done. Third fact. He says, man, the reason I'm different with you at different times is because, you might want to write this down, I love you. <laughs> I deeply care about you. He says, I don't want to seem that I'm trying to frighten you with my letters. And then he quotes sarcastically someone who says against him, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So let's just back this up. They actually pay him a compliment in what he says about his letters. The letters are weighty and forceful. In other words, they're well thought through, they're logical, and they really seem like he's got a lot of teeth behind him. But... Two criticisms about the guy when you meet him. Number one, unimpressive. Unimpressive. I, uh, I love it when I meet people who first come to Hope. And they hear about Hope Community somehow. I don't know how. We don't, we don't advertise. Uh, and even if we, we don't know enough to know how to write, do advertising rightly, so why bother? But uh, I love it when people come and they maybe have heard about Hope. <laughs> 
I just talked to a guy recently. He said, yeah, I first came about two months ago, and uh, it was interesting. I, I, I heard about the church and all this kind of thing, and then, and, then, and then I saw you get up, and I thought, oh, who's that guy? Oh, that's the senior pat. Oh, unimpressive. <laughs> a very unimpressive. I mean, it just kind of keeps getting worse unimpressive, and so... <laughs> And I'm like, I'm thinking, we've only known each other like a few minutes here, and you're already saying that, so anyway. But it was actually good. I, I like that. Um, Paul says that uh, he's shown major concern for them because what he's done for them, and I think is a gift, is he's unimpressive in his speaking. And he's also, when he, uh, he's unimpressive in his nature, and, he's, and he says... His speaking amounts to nothing. In other words, he's not using fine rhetoric. He's not a, using the tricks of the trade. I think Paul was smart enough that if he wanted to learn that, he could do it. But he's not going to do that. He, he's not going to do that for a variety of reasons. There are even, we don't know if this is true or not, but there are accounts of the Apostle Paul that said when you looked at him, he was very, very kind of ugly. I mean, you know, they say he was a short man. He was bald. Now, some people think maybe just because he had taken an oath and shaved his head, but he was perhaps bald. He had a hook nose. He had bowed legs. Now, again, we don't know any of this is true, but the last one is great. And he had a unibrow. <laughs> and some people defend that saying, no, actually, in that culture, here's an example where a unibrow was seen as a form of strength. I'm sorry, unibrow, any culture, any time, ain't no sign of strength anywhere. That's why tweezers were invented. Can I get an amen on that? All right, now. <laughs> so, he's saying, here's the gift. We've shown you in our letters that we deeply care for you. There are moments of tenderness and moments of toughness in our letters to you. What we want to do, we don't want to impress you. I don't want to frighten you. I want to love you. And I want you to know that who I am when I write to you and who I am when I speak to you is the same thing as you'd see if you were to see me on Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock. When we came into this building, we love this building. This building is a, a fantastic building. It, of all the places I've ever had the opportunity to speak, this is my favorite place just because it's like a campfire. You know, we're all kind of sitting around, kumbaya, just have a campfire, and marshmallows, the whole thing, and s'mores, and whatever else John Pike you'd want. But anyway, then, you know, it's great. But one of the things we did change was this stage was up at that level, right there, same as the piano and the, and the organ over there, that level with a straight down. No steps here, steps over there, and then no steps right over there by the organ. We redid all that because it felt like us and them. We felt like there was this divide, and it just kind of begged being something on, and we always... We don't call this a stage because it's not a stage. It's just a platform so the people in the balcony can see. That's the point. We're just, we're just we're like you. We're all together in this. And keep everything the way it is. Unimpressive and speaking amounts to nothing. Amen to that. And then lastly, fa fact number four is don't, don't, don't be too... Uh, when, when we come and this stuff's still going on, don't, don't worry, man. We will clean house. He says such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. If there's people there thinking they're still going to be rabble-rousers in trouble when we get there, when we come make our visit, don't worry. There, there will be some cleaning house. We will, we can, and we will clean house. Now, that's all I really want to say about this. I want to go back to that whole biblical authority thing. Where Paul says, even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave me, I want to I go to that question and, and leave that as our big question for the rest of our time. Is what in the world really is spiritual authority? What does that look like? What does it look like when it's operating healthy? What does it look like when it's not? And, and you know, and there's been books written on spiritual abuse, spiritual authority gone wrong or whatever, and some of that's good and some of that's overdoing it. Just because somebody says a harsh word to you, Read Paul. Read Galatians, okay? That's not spiritual abuse necessarily, but there is a point where it is spiritually abusing someone and taking your authority and using it in a wrong way. And we'll look at that throughout a whole different paradigm. So, oh boy, oh boy, we're going to do a study uh, now on this concept. And so if you've ever been at Hope for a long, if you've been at Hope for a while, you know every now and then we just like to open up the Bible to a whole bunch of passages that you can think about all week and just kind of 
Go through them. And they're all printed in your worship folder. Not the passages never would fit. You're going to get exposed to a lot of Bible in the next 20 minutes. So just hang with me. Buckle your seatbelts, Dorothy. It'll be all right. And I just want to expose you to a lot of things maybe you're totally unaware of. And again, we have to kind of put on a different mindset than a Westerner. Because this is a little bit different than, you know, our view of democracy and the way things work. That's not the way God does things. So what is spiritual authority? Let's start with a definition of just the word. Big fancy Greek word that this comes from is exousia, which sounds like you sneezed, but exousia, which means this. It means a state of control over something. Other words you could use is like, a, I have freedom of choosing. I have a right. So I, have, I have control over it. I'm an authority. Secondly, it could be the right to control or command something. Authority, absolute power. I have a warrant to do these kind of things. That's the basic concept when you use this word in this idea of spiritual authority. Now, with that said, let's answer some questions that I'm going to, as our sub-question to the, the uh, what is spiritual authority, and look at some different areas how that plays out. We'll end up by making some summaries and, and, and see where we go from there. Okay, where does authority come from? If you're in a person in authority, and just say like that police officer pulled me over, he had authority, he had authority to detain me. He did. Authority was given him by the county, and it keeps going up to the, to the, perhaps the mayor's office, and then it goes to right up the governor or whatever, the president of the United States, right? All, there's a sense of authority. Where does it ultimately come from, and how does this whole thing get set up? So, go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, and if you want to turn there, good luck. We're going to move fast and furious, but like I say, they'll all be on the screen here. It says, uh, but God, uh, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. By the way, let me just say, I want to thank Hope Community very much for obeying the Bible very well in this category. Holy shnikes. By the way, the earth has been filled. You can stop. (laughs) Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And here we go. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So people have been given, given, and we'll see that just clearly, this from God, a command to be in charge, and we'll talk about what that means in a little bit, in charge of the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you, Now, stop. Somebody owns something when you give it, right? If you don't do that, that's called stealing. You steal this and you give it to somebody else. No, if you own it, then you can give it. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And And it was so. That's one thing you'll see in Genesis Uh, That's what we're going to study in the fall, Genesis. God speaks, it's so. I like that. So God has authority. God ultimately has authority over everything, and yet he's bestowed that on humans. By the time you get to Psalms, this is very clear. Psalm 75 says this, no one from the east or the west. That's just a fancy way of saying ain't nobody, okay? Or from the desert. Again. Fancy place. Doesn't matter. Can exalt a man. And that what exalt means there is put them in a position of authority over another person. But it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. God is the one who does this. Now we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about governments. And God is in control of those things too. And, and how that all works out. And, and that raises a bunch of questions. And we have... Uh, Third service, we always have open questions, so you can come third, third service and ask your questions. Not now, though. We've got a timeline now. Third service, we just stay here till whatever. Uh, it's amazing. Last week, I opened it up. I, I don't do this often. Were you guys here? I opened it up last week, and I said, you know what? Let's just, you can ask any question you want. Any question. It doesn't have to be in the message or anything. First question. First question. What's the meaning of the four horses in the book of Revelation? Uh, Richard Nixon? I have no idea. What, I, I know, what, what is the point? Okay, so 
Come back then, we'll, we'll answer some of those big, hard questions, I supposedly, tonight, if they ask the right questions. All right, so now, what I want to do here, just in a very fascinating study, is look at the life of Jesus and what happens, and when Jesus comes onto the earth, this whole concept of authority, and I want to use one gospel, we'll look at the gospel of Matthew, and kind of trace this word through the gospel of Matthew. We're not going to have a chance to look at every one of them, but most of them, and how this concept plays out. First one, Jesus starts teaching, and something happens. It says, when Jesus had finished these things, this is Matthew chapter 7, he's teaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount at the time. When, excuse me, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, it says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Let's see, where did we hear that? Oh, that's right, the Bible. He's quoting the Bible. What's the next, what is the next thing he says? Bible scholars, what's the next thing he says? But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman, did I say don't commit adultery? Is that the one? Yeah. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, is guilty of committing adultery with her and her... In his, Jesus can speak with authority. I can't. The, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart uh, is already broken the commitment. I'm not saying it right. Help me out, navigators. Uh, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so what's he doing? He's not just saying, let me teach you on this verse. He's actually saying, but I say, and he's laying down the absolute meaning of this passage. That, that's big. Teachers of the law don't do that. They, they, they just interpret what's there. What's Jesus doing? He's actually speaking, which will later be written down uh, in English and will become the New International Version, the words that are going to be Scripture. Jesus is equal to Scripture. They're saying, whoa, this guy has authority. As that continues on, you go to Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus is uh, healing people, and this guy who's neither Jewish, uh, uh, nor is he at all a Christian for that matter, he's not a follower of Jesus, he's a Roman centurion. His servant is sick. He, he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes, I will go to him. Look at the guy's answer. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. From where you are, right here, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man, a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I'm under authority. Here's authority over me. I've, here's me, and I've got soldiers underneath. Let's talk about this whole concept of authority. He says, I tell this one, go. And he goes. And that one, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to all those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This guy understood the authority of Jesus Christ, that he's lord over even sickness. He doesn't need to go there and do some hocus pocus. He can just do it from right here and sickness will obey him. Woo, that's authority goes on then, Matthew chapter 9. It's the story where, if you recall this uh, deal, where the, they lower the, the gentleman down who's sick. They lower him down through the roof, and they're going to, they want Jesus to heal him. Jesus doesn't heal him right away. He says, your sins are forgiven. They go, whoa. They're grumbling amongst themselves, the, the religious leaders. Whoa, who can say your sins are forgiven? That, that's God. It's blasphemy, they say. And Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, which only God himself can do. You can't, nobody else can forgive your sins except the one you've sinned against, right? Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat and walk. Go home. And then got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men, to Jesus. Okay? That kind of authority that kind of authority over sickness and to forgive sin is given to Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, right after this, 
he then calls his apostles to him, and he's going to send them out on a little short-term missionary trip. And he says he called his 12 apostles, disciples to him, and gave them authority, gave them authority from Jesus to them. What are they going to have authority over? Drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And it goes on this great chapter 10 where it explains what they're supposed to do on this short-term mission trip. But it all happens because he gives them his authority. We keep going here. Matthew chapter 20. This is coming towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry before he's going to go to the cross. And he wants to communicate something to these guys. And he says, calls all of his disciples together and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that means the government, lord it over others. Lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Now listen, these guys have been out doing their short-term mission trip. They come back and they say, the demons submitted to us. They understand the power that is available to them in the name of Jesus. It is unreal. And they're out with the spiritual authority. And Jesus is saying, dude, the authority that you have in my name takes that governmental authority that these guys have and it totally pales it in comparison to this. Now, how are you going to use that? Because <laughs> that's a lot of power. Not so with you. You're not going to do this over people. And here it is. It's beautiful. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your last. And in case you're wondering about how this works even with me, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Stop. Those are the most radical verses in the Gospel of Matthew. The Lord of the universe comes down to earth not to be served, but to serve. Really, if, if, you don't, if that doesn't face palm you, I don't know what does. It, Jesus came, the Lord of the, the one who spoke in worlds happened. He comes, and what does he do? He serves. And to give his life, to die, give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be a spiritual authority? Guess what it looks like? What did Paul say? Building up, not tearing down. You have power. Building up, not tearing down. You're over the earth. Build it up. Don't tear it down. It's huge. Now, with that all as a little Bible study, just as a little looking at the Gospel of Matthew, many of you have memorized, maybe as a child or maybe part of a campus group, what's called the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right, and commanding them or teaching them to, to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What's the verse right before that, though? Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of me the authority. Not, not you. Don't make disciples of you. <laughs> make disciples of me the authority. Something happens. Jesus has authority throughout his ministry. There's no doubt about it. But something happens as he goes through the garden and submits himself to the Father and goes to the cross, and is raised again, that Jesus Christ now can say, all authority has been given to me. If you need a cross-reference for that, Philippians 2, where it says, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth. Right? So something happens at the, at the cross, the obedience of going to the cross, and the resurrection, where his name was Jesus, but now his name is Jesus. I, I know. His name was Son of God. Now it's Son of God. I, 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 yeah, you just got to kind of work with that with me a little bit. But now he can say, all authority has been given to me. And you're my disciples, and you go make disciples. In that authority, because I'm pushing it to you, and because the authority, you're making them of disciples of me with a capital A authority. I am the ultimate authority. Matthew 28 changes when you do that little study of what spiritual authority is. Now, that's the end of Jesus' ministry. Then begins the church age. And then we start understanding, well, how does, that, how does that work for us? Jesus isn't here physically. How do we, what does spiritual authority look like for us? And so we kind of wander through. I'm going to take you through uh, just some, just some, 
more like ways of going about it so it makes a little more logical sense. So um, here we go. First thing is we're just going to kind of wander through and, and have them make sense to us. First thing. Peter and the apostles are, are arrested. Some of them are arrested. And they're arrested by the Jewish authorities. And they are told, you may not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they respond, we must obey God rather than men. Rather than, and the, the word there, human authority. Now, before you start piecing together a theology that says, my God is fast, therefore I am fast, Therefore, speed limits don't apply to me, Mr. Officer. Uh, that's not the way this works. <laughs> there are no therefores, okay? <laughs> Just get rid of the therefores. When there is a situation where you're asked to do something that contradicts, and we'll talk about this in a second, Scripture, yes, you obey Scripture. You obey God and not human authority. But God has put a human authority in places where, yeah, you do. You do. You submit yourself to it. Unless it goes against the direct thing. So there's an important caveat to spiritual authority or even governmental authority. There are governments so corrupt that it is right, that it is right to work at correcting them in what turns out to be civil disobedience. Okay? Now, that's the whole question itself, but I'm just going to leave that there. You can chew on it yourself. Authority of Scripture. Paul's teaching his young mentor, Timothy, on the importance of the Scripture in his life. And he says to him, all scripture, if God breathed, or it's God's, God's breath all over it, and is useful, it's profitable, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that, and this probably is better translated, so that you, man of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because he's teaching Timothy, and he's a guy, so he says, you, man of God, you can be equipped by doing this, all right? Applies to all people, but as Paul's teaching Timothy, it's a private letter, that's what he says. Scripture has ultimate authority in your life. Scripture is the thing that tells us which way is north. It tells us which way, uh, what the norming norm of our life is. Nothing else. Everything else is like, try to figure it out. But Scripture is God's word to us to help us navigate life through very, very complicated waters. Okay, now, let's start with something that radically changed the way, the course of human history, something called the priesthood of all believers. This is the Protestant Reformation. It's one of the big things that came out of the Protestant Reformation. This concept alone, that you don't need someone else to go through to go to God, that you yourselves, as a follower of Jesus, have spiritual authority. The most famous passage for this is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And if you're wrestling with identity issues, look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And it says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And you just got to know a little bit of the implication of what that means in the Old Testament. There were only certain people that were priests that could go to God on behalf of the people. And now, kada bing, boom, that's gone. You are a priest. The whole room, not just people on my right. You're the whole room. If you're a follower of Jesus, you give direct access to God. You also, you also represent God to other people. You represent God with authority to other people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does it mean that you're called out of darkness? Once you were not a people. But now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. That is who you are. You have authority, spiritual authority, in that regard. Keep going on here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, where he's, we're ripping on the Corinthians for going to trial with one another, saying, don't you get it? You should handle these things not outside the church, but inside the church. You have more authority, you have more spiritual wisdom from God than, than people outside because of who you are in Christ. And he says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if you're going to judge the world, are you not competent to judge these stupid, silly land issues and different things? Are you kidding me? If you follow that train through to Revelation... Uh, I promise you we get to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, where he's speaking to the church in thyroid. Thyroid. No. (laughs) Church of thyroid. Wow. Thyatira. I said that wrong. Anyway. uh, It says, "To To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will 
and they quote them from Psalm 2. But he, will, uh, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. And then he goes back to what he's saying. Just as I have received authority from my father. <laughs> That's who we are and are going to be? Are you kidding me? Holy smokes. All believers have authority. Now, particularly, you have authority in your own life and the lives of others around you, but your own life. This is a, and you, to understand all this idea of authority, chain of command, this idea of uh, that you say something and it goes and all that, it, obey. That's ultimately what's going on here. Now, every person on the planet is under authority to either law or gospel. You're, you're, you know, to quote the great theologian Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody, right? So you're going to either be law or gospel. Romans 7.1, and I, if, if you're wondering where I'm going, I can't do not have time, but Romans 6, 7, and 8, read it on your own. Blow your mind with what the authority you have as a believer. And he says, don't you know, brothers, that I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. So if you die, you're no longer under that law, whatever the law is. And he uses here the example of marriage, that if you're married, you're no longer... If that person dies, you're no longer legally bound to that person because they're dead, right? Okay, now, he uses this example in Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 to say this. The law has authority over you as long as you live. But something has to happen. You have to die. How do you die? You die. For Galatians chapter 2. For I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. When Christ died, you died with him if you're a follower of Jesus. Okay? You die. Law gone. Law gone. New law, gospel, is in your life, which says the righteousness that I need in order to be right with God, I get from Jesus, not from my own actions. The law says to you, do these things and you'll live. There was only one law in the garden. What was the law? Don't eat from that tree. What's the only thing they can think about? I want to eat from the tree. I want the tree. You want the tree? I want the I think that I want the tree because there's a law. Paul says later that the power of sin actually comes up because of the law. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree. I want the. I want the. Give me that fruit. I want the fruit. Give that. That's mine. Okay, I'm embellishing a little bit, but you get the idea. There's, there's power of sin has power because law is underneath. Oh, if you're following this logic, this is a big moment here. It's a big moment. If you're no longer under law, in other words, what makes me right with God is no longer my behavior. If that is gone, guess what else is gone? The power of sin in your life. Let me say it a little more clearly, very clearly. The authority of sin. It still feels powerful in your life. The authority of sin, gone. Sin, if you're a follower of Jesus, sin does not have authority in your life. The minute you give it authority, you're already losing. The gospel has authority, which says, I'm okay because of the righteousness of Jesus. It's all done. So you're now under a different authority. The gospel, which screams to you constantly, stop trying to earn favor from God. And every morning we wake up as natural-born legalists and say, i got to be right with God. And the gospel says, stop that. Wake up the next morning, i got to be okay with God. Gospel slap. <laughs> Stop it. Righteousness from Jesus. Let it go. Now you get to walk with God. Not because you should, but because you get to. The authority of the gospel's in your life. Oh, I want to follow God. No, you get to follow God. That's the gospel. The law says you have to. Okay, I'm preaching now. Oh, that's okay. Now, here we go. More authority. Human government is a sign of, of authority. It's an earthly authority. It's not a spiritual authority. It's an earthly authority. Paul says in Romans 13, you can read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter on this, but he says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And he goes on saying, you must obey them. Obviously, if they go contrary totally to Scripture, we must obey God rather than men. And then uh, come to third service, we'll probably deal with the issue of... <laughs> Wait a minute, what about a uh, corrupt government? How does that work? Ah, okay. Now, I'm not going to do another one. There is authority and also some other institutions God has put together. Marriage, home, and then we're going to hit the church. 
Marriage. Wives. Okay, first thing. I didn't write this, so if you want to email on it, paul at hopecc.com, okay? I didn't write this. Okay, here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, husbands, before you're ready to jab your wives and say, I told you that was somewhere in the Bible. I knew it. I knew it. What does it look like then? They are to, and here's the S word, submit, right? That's what it says. Now, before you, I'll see the guys like, yes, biblical, there it is. I have spiritual authority in the home, and you do. It says you're the head. Now, what does that spiritual authority look like? Women, sharpen your elbows, because here's a come. It says this, husbands rule over your wives every moment, making sure they do exactly what you say. Woman, cook me T-bone steak. No, that's not what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives. Uh, okay, I, I, I can do that. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Oh, jeez. Okay, I guess I could do that. And gave himself up for her. The cross. That's what spiritual authority looks like. Building up, not tearing down. Remember? Building up, not tearing down. What does spiritual authority look like in a husband? And guys, men, you are the spiritual authority in your home. But what does it look like? Building up, not tearing down. It means you're to so love your wife that you are laying down your preferences for her. How did Jesus do it? He laid down and he went to the cross, gave himself up for the church. Was it Jesus' preference to go to the church? Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. There's no audible answer, but the answer is there is no other way. The only way we can be glorified as being merciful and, and, and good to humankind as well and being just, as well as showing love and mercy to them, is for the ultimate sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, an infinite sacrifice. The only way we can do this is if you do it, you have to go. And Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll lay down my sacrifice. Guys, that's what it means for you to have spiritual authority in your home. Now, let's go back. Women, then what does it mean? It means as your husband is moving towards you, in as imbecilic ways as we as men know how, to move towards you in ways to show you love, Submitting means simply this. Let them. Encourage them. Okay, moron, you're getting better. Try a little bit, you know. Do this. You tried to wash the dishes. Next time use soap, okay? But you're trying. Good for you. <laughs> I don't know. I lived as a bachelor. That's all we ever did. Uh, yeah, did we just put it down and let the dog lick it and put it back up. You know, that's all we did. Okay, you're... Try to think of something positive to say. I don't know what to say. You use the English language, I guess. Uh, you, women, that's what submitting means. You let them. You encourage them. And the passage ends by saying you respect them. You slap them on the rear and say, way to go. Way to go. When it's presented that way, they say, yeah, I, I can submit to that. Why? Because spiritual authority is not about I get my preferences. I get my way. Shut up. It's nowhere in the Bible. Not so you that's how the Gentiles and the government do it. Not so you. In fact, it goes so much to say, if you look at this, and I use the NASB here because I wanted the actual, NASB is a literal translation. I wanted the actual word. He says, um, the wife does not have authority over, it's talking about uh, sex, having sex together and not withholding and being, using that as, a, as a, something you hold over the other person. It says, the wife does not have uh, authority over her own body. But the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. You actually, in marriage, swap authority and say, I, I am laying down my preferences for you. Those of you that wonder, this is kind of funny. <laughs> Carol leaned over me. She had to catch an airplane. So she left. She said, oh, it's going to be awkward if I leave right at the time when you're talking about wives submitting to husbands. <laughs> I said, yeah, no. Anyway, uh, <laughs> children, here we go one more time. 
you're going to hear this repetitively. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's a verse we made our kids memorize. <laughs> anyway, uh, we even got a song for them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Anyway, the, uh, just, this is good. It's good for children to understand this whole concept. And then he goes on, why? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Yes, children are supposed to obey me. This is good. What's the next verse? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Wow. You mean I have to lead them with spiritual authority that's for building up and not tearing down? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what it means. Don't exasperate them. Love them. Instead, bring them up on the training instruction of the Lord that it's joyful. You're leading a joyful home. That's what it means. You don't get to just get your preferences. Because I said so. Or let me interpret from New York, Wisconsin. Go get me another beer. Hold my beer and watch this. No, uh, that's not the way spiritual authority happens. Authority in the church, lastly. Obviously, with Paul, we looked at this passage. He was given it as a capital A apostle. He uses that authority. He also talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So he's talking as a capital A apostle. However, as things progress, Paul is training new people. The apostles, capital A, the 12 apostles, then uh, uh, Judas dies, Matthias comes in, and the apostle Paul. They're capital A apostles. After that, we, we have small A. They're not any longer in that thing. And he, he, they have authority, though. He says to Titus, who's one of his young mentors, or he's a mentee of, of Paul's, he says, these are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke. How? With all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. He goes on then to say that this will then be shared, and he even says this in the book of Titus, ultimately in the church by the elders of the church. The elders who direct the affairs of the church work, uh, uh, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those who work at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox, the ox, uh, while it is treading out the grain, while it's working. Don't stop it. Let it keep going. And the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation uh, against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. It's a very, 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 very uh, a serious matter. And if it is, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly. Now, that's not the normal pattern. Normally, you deal with these things privately. But elders, it's a, such a big deal because the economy of a church, the, the currency in the church is trust. And if trust is broken, everything's broken. And so if, there's, if they're sinning and they're not doing things, they're living a double life, whatever, they, it needs to be told so trust can be refound. And so then this authority, this spiritual authority in the church goes to the elders. So much so... That it, there's, some, there's even a spiritual element to this that it says if someone's sick, there's something about elders praying for a person. He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him uh, with oil in the name of the Lord. Of course, it's not this elder and their power, but it's in the name of the Lord. Somehow it goes through the elders of the church. However, it, even then, in the church, Hebrews avoids the word elder and just uses the word leaders. Now, it could be talking about just elders, but there were other positions of leadership, and I think there's a sense of spiritual authority, not like the elders, and certainly not like the Lord, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. People have spiritual influence over one another. There's a sense of spiritual authority. Ultimately, in the church setting, it is the eldership. And even the elders are accountable to eat the, the authority of the elders. So there's no one elder that's any more, uh, you know, a like pope elder. It's just elders and everybody is under authority. Now, let me summarize this and then we'll talk about how to apply this. First thing, let's just summarize eight things. First thing is, I'm just going to say some captain obvious things. First thing, absolute authority is only belongs to God, period. That's just, anyone on earth who says they have absolute authority is absolutely wrong. <laughs> Second thing, and it's kind of a reestatement of this, is Christ has been given all authority. Third thing, people, just as humans, have been given authority over the earth for some things, and, and government and a few other things. Don't have to be a follower of Jesus to get that authority. It comes from God, though. Fourth thing, believers in Jesus, priesthood of the believer have been given special authority as his priest. 
just as a believer in Jesus, instantly you have now that authority, which was held in the Old Testament for a very few people. We're all under the authority of the law or the gospel or grace. One or the other. You all. And if you're here this morning and you're under the law, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and right now you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is the greatest deal ever. Right where you're sitting, right now, you could decide to change authorities. Right now, you could say, Jesus, I want to be under your authority. I want to bend my knee to you as Savior. You took my sin, and as Lord, I want to follow you. Right there, you just became a follower of Jesus. It can happen, right? Your heart quickens. not the attitude, or it's not the, your, your words, it's the attitude of your heart. Right where you're at, you could do that. Sixth, there is a, uh, authority in marriage, home, children, government, and the church. Seventh, you're not supposed to obey when things completely contradict Scripture. And then lastly, this spiritual authority, we've said this many, many times, is for the pers- purpose always of building up, not tearing down. Always. Now, with that said, let me close, move to a time of response this morning by coming to the table. This table represents Jesus Christ laying down his preferences for you. This table also represents the absolute authority of Jesus to forgive sin. Whatever your sin. That's what this table represents. And as you come forward today, you and take from the communion, you are acknowledging Jesus' authority as Lord, but also acknowledging his, uh, his authority over sin and forgiveness of it. You are forgiven in Jesus. Take that to the bank. Now, some of you, as I close, are really wrestling. You might have grown up in legalistic or whatever you perceive it to be. And I'm not talking about just saying hard things, but actually people who are using some type of spiritual authority in a wrong way. And that's hard. I, 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 I acknowledge that. And I'll be down afterwards if you want to talk about how does that work, how is tr- trust rebuilt, The answer is not to just to go and hibernate by yourself and to be a church of one. That's not the answer. But let me ask you three questions as we close today. Number one, are you living out your authority in Jesus that you have? As a priest, you can come straight to God Almighty and ask anything at all. You are forgiven in Christ. You have authority over sin and all that the devil would throw at you. You have authority on that. I hope that's a daily, daily key that you use, not just a concept. Paul says that's how you walk with Jesus. Second thing, many of you are husbands, fathers, maybe you have positions of of spiritual influence in the church or in people's lives. Are you carrying out that spiritual authority to to, to build up and not tear down? Let the Lord answer that in, in your heart. Deal with that. And then lastly, are you, are, you, are you submitting to the spiritual authority you're under? Everybody's under spiritual authority. Are, are, do you have a heart that says, yeah, I want to be a good follower. I want to live under spiritual authority. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we close our time together this morning with a response and coming around your table and, and acknowledging very clearly that you have authority in our lives as Lord, you also have authority over our lives to forgive. There are some people in this room, and I know myself included in this, need to believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all of them. And I pray for that, God. That we would, we would submit ourselves, and we would not hold ourselves to a higher tribunal than you when you say we're forgiven. So God, I pray we'd believe the good news of the gospel. I pray, Lord God, for us as people who are in, in some, uh, some way, shape, or form, have spiritual authority. I pray, Lord God, that we would always use it for the betterment of others and never use it as a sword just because we've been hurt or we want to show off ourselves but we'd use it to want to build up other people constantly. God, may your kingdom grow here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and this whole area and around the world, God, because your kingdom delights in seeing the forces of darkness being trashed because the kingdom of God has come.
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to a time of response. And just take a moment to be with the Lord on your own and see what He would say to you. And then anytime during the songs, feel free to come forward to this table or one in the back. And I believe there's, I believe there's one upstairs. And there'll be people around the table as well. And you, they'd love to pray with you. The authority and name of Jesus, they'd love to pray for you as a gift. And you take the bread and, and, and rip off a piece that represents Christ's body and the cup represents His blood, which was shed for you. And then you can either have it here or go ahead and have a seat, whichever you prefer, and, and uh, drink that and eat that. Um, we practice open communion. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. We just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet, right where you're sitting, you can seal the deal. You can seal the deal. Some of you need to come back and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I maybe did this years ago, but I've wandered away. Today I come back and I make my statement when I come and take communion. Be with the Lord on your own and come and take communion whenever you like.